Notice where your attention is right now. And allow this quality of mindful awareness to gently start to inhabit, to reside, to rest gently within the body in a very simple way. In the same way that the body is resting on the earth, whether you're sitting on a chair or a bench or a cushion, it's the nature of things that the body rests on the earth. You don't have to hold it down. You don't have to push on it or cling to the earth. It's earth resting on earth. In the same way, just let the quality of awareness rest gently within the body. And the simplicity of simply knowing that you're sitting. Or perhaps whispering in the mind the words, there is a body. This gentle connection to that. There's this flow of changing sensations of pressure and tension and vibration, warmth and coolness. This dance of sensations, of elements that is the direct experience of body. Just letting the awareness rest within that field, receiving those experiences. And you might let the attention gently move through this field, through the body, inviting relaxation, if you notice areas of tension that that don't really need to be there, not trying to make them relax, but just inviting this possibility. Perhaps the area around the forehead and the eyes. Often, even when the eyes are closed, there can be this sense that we're looking at experience. We can let the eyes rest in the sockets, closing the eyes, even behind the eyelids. If the eyes are open, let the gaze be soft, gentle. Noticing the area of the jaw, perhaps, and the mouth, and relaxing the tongue Sometimes there's a gentle pushing of the tongue against the back of the teeth or the roof of the mouth. Just let the tongue rest there in the mouth, nothing to push. Feel the back of the neck lengthen, the chin might tuck just a tiny bit, bringing ease to the throat and the neck. Let the shoulders drop, the shoulder blades move down the back. Feeling the gentle curves of the spine, being sure we're not sitting in a way that's unnaturally stiff or straight, but that there's this upright alertness in the posture. Belly can be soft, hips open. 
Check the area of the pelvis and the buttocks to make sure you're not gripping these large muscles in a way that's not necessary for sitting. You might take a moment now and just let the attention come to the experience of hearing just for a moment or two. Soft sounds within the hall, the sound of my voice when that comes. Sounds that may drift in from outside. They contact the ear, and if the ear is working, then hearing happens. Happens by itself. Receiving the sounds, perhaps a light mental note of hearing, hearing. Letting the sounds come to you. In the same way, we can receive the sensations of the experience we call body, this field of changing sensations. And within that, there may be the sensations associated with the movement of the breath as it enters and leaves the body. Light touching sensations at the nostrils or the back of the throat, expansion, contraction, rising, falling in the chest or the abdomen, breath, breathing itself. There's that contact and the knowing of those sensations happens by itself. It's the nature of things with body sensitivity, if that's working, functioning, that contact, and then the knowing of those sensations happens by itself. We can see the flow of experience as this flow of contacts at the sense doorways or the sense bases. Contact at the eye door and seeing arises, at the ear door, hearing, and the body sensing, feeling, nose and tongue. And then we have the doorway of the mind, all the contacts in the mind of thinking and emotions and moods, mind states, mental energies, images, We see the mind as another sense doorway.
And so we can use the body in the sitting posture. There is a body, that frame. We can use the sensations and movements of the breath as part of that, as a kind of point of reference, you could say, or a gentle anchor, not a heavy weighted anchor. Think of it more as a place where we can collect and recollect the attention. A place to come back to, to begin again. Not that we make this some kind of exclusive object. This kind of might think of it as a primary object or a point of reference or an anchor, a resting place for mindfulness, for awareness, rising, falling. body sitting. Or perhaps hearing. And other experiences, other contexts may take the attention Sound arises, hearing, sensations in the body, strong or soft and gentle, pleasant or unpleasant. And we don't have to go to these experiences. The attention is already there. Gently, perhaps name them with a label, a note. Touching. Pulsing. Hearing. Sensing. when they no longer call the attention, or their strength lessens, can gently return to the breath, body, to the anchor. We notice the mind has drifted, the attention has drifted into thinking, perhaps memories of past events or plans for the future, images. Pictures and words. And we, we come out of that reverie. We become aware that thinking been happening, you can name that thinking. It's getting to know the essence of a thought, its nature as phenomenon, apart from the story and content, apart from the images. And even if it's uh, already drifting away or has drifted away, it's okay to name it thinking probably doesn't stick around. If it's clearly a memory or a future plan, you could name it more specifically in that way, or worrying. Or just generically as thinking. What happens to the thought? What is the nature of that 
the energetic feel of it. Nothing to struggle with or try to get rid of. Just another contact, another object to notice. A suitable object for our meditation. Just uh, playing a bit, using your uh, intuition, times when we have a more broad frame, there's a body, the flow of contacts, the knowing of them. And when we can tell it's, it's more useful, more skillful to uh, simplify and Uh, bring the attention in closer to just one object of breath or body, perhaps hearing, resting there a little more intentionally to help stabilize the attention, awareness, allow it to collect and gather, to move towards non-distraction. The movement between these approaches as it serves your continuity of awareness. Using the tool of mental noting, mental labeling as that is skillful and helpful, dropping it when it isn't. And as much as possible, Letting the practice be simple and easeful, simple and easy. Always coming back to the simplicity of knowing that you're sitting, knowing that there is a body, can always come to that reference, that frame. And seeing if you can weave a thread of gentle uh, kind of kindness or tenderness into the attention, into the awareness. You could say we take care of our life by showing up for it in this direct and simple way. And that's inherently kind.
I wanted to mention an aspect of our uh, experience that we, we might become aware of, uh, might notice at times, uh, that's actually a quite important, powerful uh, place to bring awareness, and following on from uh, some remarks uh, from Joseph's talk last night. And this is the, uh, the mental factor of feeling tone, Vedana in Pali. And if we uh, see our experience, the flow of our experience as this uh, series of contacts at the different sense doorways, sense spaces, and there's the uh, understanding and the experience of a, a feeling tone of either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant that arises with every contact at any of the sense doorways. And this, uh, this just happens. And sometimes it's quite obvious with a strong uh, sensation that we might relate to as painful, the unpleasant feeling tone, very clear there. Or perhaps we're outside in the warm day and the cool breeze and that might be experienced as very pleasant and it's very clear and obvious. And when it's neither of those, and for shorthand I'll use the word neutral, generally that comprises a lot of our experience but it goes unnoticed, that neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling tone. But this arena of Vedana, of feeling tone, is uh, the second establishment of mindfulness. It, it's its own, out of four, it gets its own uh, special category, place to bring attention. And, and uh, it's a powerful place to uh, bring our awareness. There's a strong tendency, as Joseph was saying last night, for pleasant feeling tones to condition uh, movement of the mind, of pulling in, as he described it, of grasping, of wanting, of uh, holding on, movement towards or movement to uh, grasp. And with unpleasant, strong tendency to either move away from or push away. And with neutral, usually tendency to just not notice at all, to disconnect. And we tend to think that these often, especially perhaps with pleasant and unpleasant, that these feeling tones are an inherent uh, part of the object. It's pleasant, it's unpleasant. We, we lose sight of the fact that it's arising in the mind but it's not a fixed thing. It's not the same all the time for any one of us and it's not the same for all of us. I have a friend who um, finds the experience of eating a raisin to be extremely unpleasant. It is evil and wrong <laughs> and to be avoided, especially if those raisins happen to be placed within oatmeal. Now I happen to believe that oatmeal without raisins is actually very poisonous. <laughs> and, um, and that's wrong and bad. And so the raisins in this example are innocent. <laughs> but it's a powerful place to pay attention because the conditioning is so strong and learning how to be with pleasant, unpleasant, the flow of that in a, in a skillful, wise way is, is really incredibly powerful. And I think probably there are wars that could have been avoided if certain people had been able to be mindfully with an unpleasant feeling tone. Probably, I don't like the way I'm feeling, I think I'll start a war. Not this... It, Maybe not the thought <laughs> process, but it has probably happened. So uh, pay attention a bit to this, especially when it's clear and obvious. You don't want to um, try 
investigating it and going after it too much. That's too much work. But when it does arise, when there's a strong sensation, especially perhaps very strong, pleasant or unpleasant, noting, naming, and even labeling the uh, Vedana pleasant, unpleasant, can be really a powerful uh, tool for exploring um, how, how this conditioning process and our relationship to these, this aspect of experience. <clears throat> and I'm, I will probably, we may say more about it uh, over the next days. Do you have any questions this morning? Yeah. In terms of uh, noticing pleasant, unpleasant, and then the moving toward or pushing away, mm-hmm. is, there, is it considered to be wise to simply notice and note? Or is there a place for remedies like inserting loving kindness instead of aversion or something like that? Could you speak to those Mm. aspects? The question was in terms of noticing these feeling tones and seeing the uh, conditioning in terms of the response to them, is there a place for... um, the term was used on remedy or an intervention, for example, inserting loving kindness if the unpleasant feeling tone has conditioned aversion, resistance in the mind. Or should one just simply note what's going on there? Um, I think for purposes of the insight practice, it's really good to um, really um, check out this process and not uh, certainly not right away go for some kind of, oh, aversion, I have to do something about it. It's really um, more useful to really uh, get to feel the aversion, get to know the aversion. How am I relating to this resistance? And check it out. So exploring it in that way. At a certain point, if you're just getting punched out by the aversion, at a certain point, it may make sense to skillfully um, shift the attention either perhaps by um, turning to loving kindness could be one or taking the attention to some more neutral experience. So, but, but I would, I'd be, um, you know, not, certainly not have that be the immediate or you see grasping in the mind, oh, I have to try to make, make that not be there. We don't want to set up an adversarial relationship with these experiences. Um, it, it's it's kind of natural, you know, unpleasant. The, the withdrawal from that is, it's, it's not like that's weird. But we want to know and not have that just be running itself and running our lives. We want to understand that. And we can start to see that the aversion is not a given. We tend to think unpleasant equals aversion. Pleasant equals grasping. That's not true. These are not the same thing. So we want to get to understand that process really, uh, really uh, intimately. It's a radical kind of intimacy to be willing to be there with that. And, and we have to use um, skill in negotiating that. Comment was practicing with. Uh, do you, is there more? No, uh, comment was practicing with uh, Joseph's suggestion of looking at the attitude in the mind, different times. You know, how am I relating to a question? How am I relating to this experience? And finding that interesting and seeing that that is not um, the same as the feeling tone, but it can be. Um, the attitude is definitely uh, has a relationship to the feeling tone. And um, there was a question in there. Um, what else is that? What yeah, is what is that, that attitude? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really, we can see it in terms of, of yeah, the, just all the ways that we might relate to it, uh, to an experience. 
So it's not the same as hindrance. It's not the same as kilesa. But, but um, if we notice grasping, that's how we're relating to it, we can see that it manif- can manifest as those things. That relationship can show up in, as, as grasping, as resistance, as spacing out. So, um, so it's, it's kind of like, um, by asking the question, we, we can tune very directly to the arising of these, these mental factors. And, and it's good to, you know, with, with things, I'm, you know, you mentioned kilesa and hindrance, these things that, you know, kilesa often translated as defilement. Um, you need to be careful with those those experiences a little bit because they sound hindrance sounds bad, defilement sounds really bad. And if we see them, oh, I'm you know we look at our experience and we we see ourselves as this walking bucket of defilement. <laughs> and you know these these energies are they're just trying they're actually trying to help us. You could see them as the untrained mind's attempts to deal with anicca, dukkha, and anatta to deal with the change, the unreliability, the fragility of experience, the fact that pleasant doesn't last, the fact that unpleasant, we can't keep it from arising. So they're, they're not evil or wrong, they're just misguided attempts to uh, care for us in terms of that, in relation to that. So be careful how, how we, re- so there, how am I relating to this greed? Is it, am I, is their judgment criticism. So just to see, oh, is this what's happening? You can say hello to them. Hello, little greed. I see you. And we, wanna, we want them to not be driving the bus. And when they are, we want to see it. And we, we put them in a car seat next to us, give them a cookie and say, <laughs> we, we'll, we're going to drive, but you can come. So we don't want to get into this enemy. <laughs> Got to chop them off. That's not a good way to deal with, relate to these things. So I, I, there's some announcements that I want to make sure we have time for. Um, one more quick one, if it's quick. Um, at the talk last night, uh, Joseph mentioned uh, mental notes. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago, um, mental noting being emphasized more, and in particular being uh, suggested as a rhythmic paired noting in, in, out, out, and in the walking, lifting, lifting, stepping, stepping, placing, placing. I remember Mahasi Sayadaw visiting and talking about continuity, mm-hmm. going back to the room, opening the door, yeah. when opening the door, note reaching, reaching, Turning, turning, pulling, pulling. I'm curious about the change, both the de-emphasis and also the letting go of the rhythmic double noting. Okay. That's kind of a gigantic question. I may not <laughs> deal with it all. I think the, the, the double noting that you're mentioning is, is um, not, was never an actual instruction but was just a kind of way of, of uh, it was kind of a figure of speech or a way of, of um, just adding extra clarity to the idea of the note. And, and with Mohasi's idea, it was reach, when reaching, one knows one is reaching. And the label is, might be really useful and might not be necessary. So you could think of noticing being the main instruction and the noting as a tool to help we're connecting with that. In terms of, uh, we just had a, the beginnings of what might turn into a long discussion on this teaching team about uh, the shift over, over the uh, years uh, where at a certain point, certainly at IMS, it was, you know, note until there's nothing left to note, basically. <laughs> Keep it going. And, and it's a great way to practice. I've done three months retreat where I've walked in the door, started noting, and three months later, still noting. And it's a great way to practice. And it does, um, it supports that continuity in a profound, can support it in a profound way. Um, I think I'll, 
I'll not go too much into why it, it was de-emphasized. There's a whole lot of conditions that um, led to that, and maybe it's having a resurgence now. We'll see. It, it will with some teachers, I think, who have a great uh, love for and appreciation for that practice and, and for the benefit of it. So um, I'll leave it there for now. Um, but um, yeah, bring it in to whatever extent it is skillful and useful. And the double note, if that helps, great, but it's not, it was never, in my understanding, taught as an instruction to do it twice. But you might be noting reaching, 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 reaching. It might be a, con- a continuous flow of notes in that way at times. So it's, there's not a, a right and wrong way to use it, it's what's skillful. I hope that that helps a bit. So some announcements. Um, <clears throat> I think we neglected to say this, but if if uh, with the the uh, practice discussion groups, uh, they may end with at different times, and if they end at a time when there's a sitting scheduled sitting period in the hall, we'll ask that you not come in in the middle of that, that you, you practice outside or in your room and then uh, rejoin the schedule when, when that happens naturally. Um, because there are various small uh, beings, uh, insect types, and particularly ticks out and about, we ask that... Uh, you brush your clothing. There are brushes placed outside the doors. Uh, check yourself and maybe brush yourself off, um, especially if you've been walking up in the, on the trails or in the hills before coming into the hall. Um, leave, leave them outside where they'll be happy and not bring them in here where they might make other people unhappy. Um, Nisha and Devon have placed uh, lists for sign-up meetings today. Feel free to... Uh, sign on for one of those, um, but it should be reserved for those who do not have a, a group on any particular day. And I'm going to try for today, see how it goes, since the room I'm in is pretty small, um, having my meetings be down by the, below the dining hall, outside the yurt that's down there um, at an outside area where it's a little more spacious. And uh, there will be some signs, but if you go down the hill and past the dining hall, just where that, that bridge, uh, just, just below the dining hall, there's a bridge. There'll be a note there. You turn right, go down the hill, you'll see the yurt, come to another bridge across the drainage there, and um, hopefully I'll be there waving at you. So the, uh, the last thing I wanted to... Uh, mention, take, take a little more time, and, and I want to take a little care with this, but uh, there's, uh, on behalf of the team up here, I'd like to mention a, a slight change to the, the form of the, and structure of the retreat from now going forward. Um, it has to do with um, offering um, daily affinity sittings, which is something that's been happening here at Spirit Rock in recent years at pretty much, I think, all or certainly the majority of the residential retreats are offering these. And um, it's something that uh, this team is very supportive of, wants to include in this retreat. And these are affinity sittings for uh, folks who self-identify as people of color and those who self-identify as LBGTIQ, lesbian gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, and uh, the, all that uh, fit into, that identify as part of what we sometimes call the alphabet sangha. And um, these will happen at, uh, for the people of color at 2.30 p.m. and for uh, those who identify as LGBTIQ at 6.45 at those scheduled times and they'll be in the council house, and they will be silent sittings. So they're not discussion groups, they're meditation periods, just as, as all of the rest of them are on the retreat. And, um, and I wanna offer just a, a little bit more of a 
kind of instruction in, in explanation about why we would do this because sometimes um, you know most of you I think are probably familiar with with these happening at Spirit Rock but many of you might some of you might not be and I want to just say a, a couple words about why we would do this because sometimes people um, it can bring up concerns and questions and confusion in some minds especially feeling that wondering if doesn't doing this actually create greater separation in some way. And, um, you know, if you're someone who, we could say, is part of or fits into what we might think of as the mainstream culture here at Spirit Rock, or the dominant culture here, which in its most obvious basic level would be white, heterosexual, then it's um, and middle or or even upper middle class probably as part of that. There's there's a particular particularity of the culture, the surroundings, the environment here that might not be noticeable to you. You know, you come to this part of Marin County to uh, an environment like this. It feels fine, easeful, safe, and familiar. And you show up here and you see mostly people who look like you. And there's food that is familiar and that you might feel is really great and you look forward to it. It seems really good to you. And the language that's being used is accessible and has a, a familiarity. All this making you feel welcome and at home. And... You know, these buildings and the grounds, everything here feels supportive and easeful in that same way. And, and because of our, our relationship to being part of this mainstream culture that everything here is, reflects, it's hard for us to see that um, there's something very specific about it and that the feelings of safety, comfort, ease in this environment are not universally felt. They're not felt by everybody and who comes here. And we want this place to be a place for all people to come and do this uh, work, to hear these priceless teachings and to do this practice in, a, in as safe and comfortable, easeful a way as possible. And you know, we all know how challenging retreat can be, no matter what. But it can be especially challenging and even sometimes confusing for, um, for those who, who are not part of the mainstream culture. And, and uh, when they come into this environment, it can be um, difficult. It can have the effect of triggering trauma, of really creating a sense of not a lack of ease, and even lack of safety at times. And so, um, you know, there, there may be other people, other groups with histories, identities, who may have good reasons to, uh, to feel triggered here at Spirit Rock and the conditions here. But generally speaking, the challenges for people of color and for LGBTIQ folks reflect... Um, and result from what we could think of as broad social dynamics and forces and energies that are constantly at play in the world, in their lives, in all our lives, and that lead to and constantly reinforce um, a sense of marginalization, a sense of living on the fringes of this mainstream dominant culture. And so um, we want to try our best to provide some uh, support and um, extra care within the structure of the retreat for these two groups. It feels like uh, yeah, a very needed and a real responsibility for that. And there's, there's, it's become clear in the doing of this that there's a profound um, value in offering this space and time for those who uh, carry the primary burdens of these kinds of social pressures. 
that a lot of us just have the privilege of not having to feel at all. And so we want to create a space where it's more easeful and where people can uh, have this sense of protection within community. Because to sit in meditation with a group of others where you feel you have shared experience, shared challenges, is a huge privilege. And it's a privilege that's granted to and mostly invisible to uh, those of us who look like me here. And um, people who are part of what we could think of as the mainstream or dominant culture here. And so, um, so we're offering these two groups. They're silent sittings. I call them sittings rather than groups. I want to make sure and clarify. These are affinity sittings. They'll be in the council house. 2.30 for those who I self-identify as people of color. And uh, 6.45, is that the schedule? Yeah, 6.45 for the uh, LGBTIQ group. And um, they're totally optional. There's no requirement and no push of any kind to attend these. You may feel ambivalent about it. But the, the value of them is, has been demonstrated so, to be, uh, so clearly to be a value. So we're offering these. And um, you can go to both of them if the self-identification is with both of those groups. So um, you don't have, if, if both of them are appropriate for you, they're both available for you. So I want to um, see if Dara, do you want to add anything? Okay. So just noticing this is a point for practice, how it is there in the body and the mind and the heart as that got dropped into the community. I'm sure that there's some stirrings for many of us, both in terms of uh, gladness and relief as well as aversion and resistance and everything in between. So just noticing one of the things we're really moving towards in this tradition, particularly at these two retreat centers, IMS and Spirit Rock, is the normalizing of the awareness of otherness and difference. And that's just how it is. Not good, bad, or indifferent. But the uh, uh, ignoring of that and the not addressing that has been what has caused harm over these many years. Greg spoke of there being um, value to offering these two sits um, for the people who might choose to attend those sits. But I also want to say that there's value for the dominant sangha in having these sits be available uh, in our midst because it actually provides the opportunity to have support, connection, and uh, Meta for those who may need or desire or even just want the choice. May not need it, but want the choice of having a sit where that extra layer of work doesn't have to come into play as we uh, cultivate our practices and deepen our understanding. Um, of ourselves in this community and in the world. And, you know, there's been a lot of protection in retreat about leaving the world outside. Well, for some of us, that ain't possible, really. So now to directly engage with that, I think speaks to the maturation and growth of uh, the Dharma here in the U.S., You know, I think the, the, one of the last things I'll say is that it's not even, there is a component of it that speaks to safety in terms of having those 
two sits come into existence. And that's real and that's valuable, but really um, in the final analysis, safety um, gets cultivated and experienced within the heart and mind. This is a delusion that safety is somehow created out there. And we've all had and heard and seen instances of that happening uh, in our culture and in our society over these last few years, particularly in terms of it being in our face. So it's not so much about these two sits offering safety for people, but there's a real uh, psychological and emotional resting that can happen through the body's experience of being with other bodies that look like, that move in society, that are responded to in similar ways that you can leave to the side as you walk through that door and just engage with the practice. So I just wanted to make that clarification. And also to acknowledge for those of us who are considering uh, attending one of those groups or identifying with either or both of those groups that um, that's not easy either to maybe take a moment to give to oneself in this particular way by going to one of these groups because we're so conditioned to belong and having to subvert or overt or cut off those aspects of ourselves that perceptually uh, don't support the understanding of belonging. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that really take a look, feel no pressure, and if it's an experience or an opportunity that feels like it will support the growth and development of your practice, then check it out. So these groups are going to start tomorrow. And uh, both of them will have in that first sitting a teacher or teachers in there to help support just the structuring of it over the next days of the retreat. I think that's it. Devin, was there anything you wanted to add? Good? Okay. Anything else? All right, so have a good day of practice. We'll be seeing you around. <laughs>